Get ready for films and chats and some jokes. Films and chats. This week's films with Alex and Michael. The Big Blanket Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Picture House Podcast, also known as the Big Blanket Podcast. I'm Michael and this is my friend Alex. Hi. Uh, Alex has been on a little adventure and interviewed the director of The Leveling, the new film, uh, the first debut film by Hope Dixon Leach, starring Ellie Kendrick off Game of Thrones. Well done. Thank you. I've got to say it sounds fantastic. She's super. Yeah, I really liked her. I'm sorry, Hope. I was in the background listening. (laughs) (laughs) I felt felt a little bit creepy just (laughs) listening to that. Well, it's because it's my first interview for the podcast. uh, (laughs) My my got to make sure I didn't mess it up. (laughs) Training wheels. (laughs) Um, And uh, we've got some reviews of Mindhorn and uh, Citizen Jane. Um, But yeah, let's listen to what Hope did. Well, how did you find the interview anyway? Brilliant. Uh, Hope is very um, eloquent. She's uh, got some really interesting stories about the process of making the film, the reasons behind uh, the film as well, and kind of working with the cast like Ellie Kendrick. Mm. And um, I mean, some regular listeners might know that I have a sideline in Shakespeare, so there's a little bit of link in Shakespeare as well at the end. Yeah, yeah, I like that you, you snuck that one in. Yeah, try and get into everything. Well, let's see what <laughs> Hope has to say. So, The Leveling. You've been touring this film around the festival circuit and around the world. What's that like? Have you been... Do you, Is it, like, repetitive? Do you actually get to see the cities that you go to? Um, well, it's, it's obviously it's a real privilege and a real pleasure to bring the film to different audiences. You know, that's kind of the, the whole joy of it. And um, you know, it's sort of extraordinary feeling when when people in Australia go, "Oh, but it's so Australian how they don't talk to each other," <laughs> or you know, "Oh, it's so Belgian," and I'm like, "But it's so British." You know? Yeah, so it's really funny. Um, but you know, I you know, I do I I try and make the most of seeing uh, as much of the cities as I can. Um, and meeting other filmmakers, you know, that's the real joy of festivals is you get to meet your, your tribe, you know, and, and see their films as well. So it's always a rush, but you kind of do as much as you can and then rush back home to see your family, you know. So it's, yeah. a, it's a real juggling act at the moment. So, um, I mean, you mentioned uh, that it's kind of universal in its appeal, but it's also very about a very specific time and place and it's set in Somerset and uh, just after the Somerset floods. Why... Why did you set it at that particular time and place? Well, I always think the more specific something is, the more universal it it becomes, actually, because I think um, the more you ground something in reality, you know, the more authentic the emotions can be. And um, I've been working on the story around the family and the relationships and the drama and the tragedy. And when I read about the floods in Somerset, that was just at the same time, and I went down and I met... um, some of the farmers and people whose lives had been, you know, turned upside down by these um, floods. And I learned how they were avoidable. And, you know, the Mm. reason that they happened was because um, the environmental agency stopped dredging the rivers, which aren't really rivers anyway. They're kind of man-made channels to to kind of irrigate the area. Um, And it just sort of seemed like this extraordinary metaphor for what was going on with the family, how, you know, there's this kind of, you know, dredging and communication that had just kind of been been given 
grown up, but and everything had, had sort of clogged up in their in their family, and that had led to something really terrible happening. Um, and uh, plus, it just seemed like an incredible story that needed to be told. You know what was going on, and I knew that the the community had had worked so hard to get it into the news, and they really were trying to get their story told. So I felt sort of confident that that I could. Um, take their lead and, and tell the story and bring it to a wider audience. Yeah. Uh, did you have any uh, connections with, I don't know, like a farming background or even Somerset itself, or was it kind of a whole new world to you? Um, I have no connections with farming. I mean, I have a cousin. I have some cousins who do some farming. But um, I grew up in Hong Kong. And, oh, right. uh, so I'm a city girl. And... Um, no, so but I just sort of threw myself into it and became completely obsessed and learned all about, you know, bovine tuberculosis and and <laughs> the you know the movement orders for cattle and I just sort of became completely um, riveted by all the details and and what it takes to to live um, that that life and mm. how challenging and how difficult it is um, and also you know one of the things uh, about farmers is that it's there's a very high suicide rate in the profession um, which sort of made sense to me once I kind of understood how much pressure they're under from so many different angles yeah. so that sort of fitted the, the the narrative that I'd already come up with and I, and I also just thought it was it was something that we don't know a lot about I mean I didn't know a lot about it beforehand and, and I know a bit more about now but I think that you know farmers are so important and we, that's how we get all our food you know yeah. <laughs> there seems to be something a little bit broken about how um how they're looked after and how that industry works and um I think the more that people who live in cities understand about how farming works, possibly the the better, you know, the, the better changes we can make to help support them. Yeah, absolutely. And and that kind of, we're talking about the kind of high suicide rates ties in with your film, because your film is about death and grief. You know, why did you decide to take on this subject and explore it? You know, I, I I wish I could answer that. I don't know. I I'm sort of fascinated by it. I think um, I've made some short films about it. There's there's something quite um, world changing about about kind of sudden death and and that period of grief. And I think there's an opportunity there to kind of examine sort of how you got there and what's going on in your relationships. And I think um, I, I sort of always find it quite a magical, strange period. Um, and, and it can be a very defining one. Um, and I don't know why. I mean, I really, I've just been really interested in it. And uh, hopefully, I, I can close that window of my life now, though, because it's quite a dark place to spend time. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I think it's really important as well. I think you know, this is something we all we all go through. We all lose people we love. You know, and yeah. we're all going to die. And I think you know, there's a kind of terrible habit of kind of no one knowing how to deal with it so it was mm. something I was really curious about and, um, but in a life-affirming way you know yeah uh, and and uh, you know people tend do tend to kind of shy away from that process but it's kind of really fresh to have a film that really explores it well thank you I, yeah I just I, it's funny it was that I sort of most of the films that you look at they're kind of like a year later someone coming home and there's a you know an mm. anniversary but I think there's something kind of um, extraordinary about that kind of immediate period afterwards when, when there is that sort of potential for everything to change, you know, and if you can kind of stand up and, and sort of, you know, everyone's kind of suddenly shocked by this thing, everyone's leveled, you know, literally, and you're all kind of in the same position. You, can, you 
know, there's a chance to kind of go, okay, how did we get here? What's going on? But it's something that's so rarely taken, and, and I can understand why, because it's not always a good thing. Mm. And, you know, it can take you to dangerous places. But, but I think, you know, there's some way that I think there's a sort of middle ground to be found where it's a sort of useful opportunity. And I think that's why, you know, grieving processes that are kind of formalised in cultures are so important, because they actually allow you to kind of acknowledge what's happening and, and kind of, you know, just use that to, to help you get through and to change your life accordingly and, and as you go forward. Yeah, and, um, but I mean, obviously the film is quite, um, it has has that subject, but what was it actually like on set and filming? Was it a, quite a, a uh, dour process or was it quite... A... Crying all the time, all, all <laughs> crying all the time. No, we were, I mean... You know, I knew it had to be, it was an emotional film, and we all knew that. We all, everyone worked on the film because they loved it, and everybody worked really hard. And I think what was really important for me was making sure that the performers felt safe, <laughs> felt kind of emotionally secure, and in a place where they could really, you know, go to those dark places. And I don't think that's necessarily best achieved by nobody looking, you know, meeting their eye or kind of, you know, talking yeah. to them or anything like that. I think. For me, um, making them feel kind of loved and secure is a much, much better thing. So that was the kind of atmosphere we went for on set, and it was really brilliant, actually. We had a really close crew and cast. We all lived in the same place because we were all on location. So everybody got to know each other really well, and it was just a really supportive thing. I think when you make a film that's really about something that a lot of people can relate to on, for one reason or another, you know, everybody kind of wants to make that succeed. And so they're all, you know, they're all doing their best to, to just kind of keep steering the, the ship towards the goal. And I think, you know, we got there. It was just, um, it was just really special experience, a really great crew, a really wonderful, committed, generous cast and, um, you know, producers and production team that made it all possible. So I just feel very, very grateful. Brilliant. And, uh, well, Ellie Kendrick is the, the lead role in this and she brings her very nice, mature and subtle performance. How did you find Ellie Kendrick? Do you, did you know her work beforehand? You know, did you watch Anne Frank Game of Thrones? <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'd, I'd seen her in some things. I watched um, Anne Frank, obviously. I watched uh, Misfits and uh, Upstairs, Downstairs. And, hmm. um, you know, I, I think I've seen one or two episodes of Game of Thrones. I'm not a... I'm not a it's not my thing, really, but um, uh, obviously that's great that she does that. But um, she's just so talented, and her craft is so extraordinary, and she's such a different character in each thing, and you can see the decisions she makes are so intelligent. Mm. And, you know, she can be very funny, and I just thought, wow, you know, this is someone who's, who's just got masses, masses of talent. And so uh, she came in and we met and she was just incredible. And I just thought, wow, this is amazing. So we both really felt this was the right decision. I know she felt very similarly that this was the project she really wanted to dive into. And she, she said she was frightened, you know. She read it she thought, oh, I'm terrified of this. But let's do it, you know. And I think that's that's exactly how I feel about things. So I think she, um, she and I kind of really collaborated well together and... Um, you know, we're really going for a, a performance where she wasn't really acting, but she was, you know, feeling and yeah. reacting and being, you know, um, and just trying to be present as much as possible rather than performing too much, if you know what I mean. So I think I think she does incredible work in this, and, and that's all down to her 
wonderful kind of hard work and, and you know, generosity of, of her own kind of emotions. Yeah, the, well, I was first aware of her uh, when she did Romeo and Juliet at the Globe and she was yeah. uh, an amazing Juliet. And, I mean, this film is... I don't know, has, does it have links to Shakespeare? Is the dad King Lear? <laughs> um, you know, I'm kind of aware that it felt like that. It was funny that as we were kind of developing it, you know, kind of kept thinking, you know, biblical, kind of Shakespearean, mm. you know, Jacobian, you know, just having those kind of influences, those kind of epic kind of characters. Um, I, You know, I don't think it's... Uh, I certainly wouldn't say it, it was intentional um, to kind of make him King Lear. But, I mean, I think that, you know, when you've got a character that's so brilliantly classic as that and so mm. well written and loved, it's sort of hard to hard to do that. But, I mean, I think um, it's, yeah, he's, you know, he's his own guy, Aubrey. He's uh, he's broken, and he's but he's trying his hardest. And I think that was the thing that was really important for me, was to find a character to make him... Because I think the first time I wrote it, I wasn't very... Sympathetic towards him. <laughs> you know, I was so much in her head and I just kind of demonized him, and then I realized how kind of boring that was, really. And, and being a parent myself, I kind of thought it was just very unfair and untrue. Mm. Because even even though he failed spectacularly and he kept doing the wrong thing, he didn't mean to, to do the best thing. You know, so I kind of, I think once once I got my head into that, I think um, that made him much more complex and sort of interesting uh, role to play. Brilliant. Oh, Hope, thank you so much for talking uh, with me today. Um, the film's brilliant. I can't wait to see it properly in the actual film. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And, um, yeah, everybody go see it. Yeah. Out, out on Friday. <laughs> out on Friday. Yeah, you're nervous. You find your local cinema. Theleveling-film.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Hope. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. you hope dixon leach that was fantastic um and i yeah it was a good little uh shakespeare sneak in there but i, th- I think it, it was you didn't just pull it from anywhere it was pulled from a no it was completely relevant and it's um i'm really excited about the film yeah um so many good reviews uh white light little white lies gave it five stars um upcoming gave it mm. five stars uh it's there's it's it's going to do very well i hope i also think that ellie kendrick is maybe not the biggest name that's come out of game of thrones but i think she's one of the most impressive people who's come out of game of thrones yeah as you said you've seen her in uh, romeo and juliet mm. at the globe i i remember seeing her in and she did a bbc thing for anne frank which was just um phenomenal was, I, that I was, Tam, on that. was tams and greg in that tams and greg played her mom? yeah yeah i've seen that it was good all right um Reviews. Yeah, I've been kind of busy elsewhere, so I haven't actually seen any. Do you not uh, even see Guardians of the Galaxy? I know. I'm desperate to see it. I, I wonder. We, we were, plan- my, my, we were thinking about going last night, but um, my wonderful wife is a teacher, and they just got told that they've got Ofsted coming in. Uh, so intense period. Oh, oh BBC, BBC getting in touch with you. Yeah. Um, he's just in Ofsted <laughs> report. Um, well, I won't talk about Guardians of the Galaxy too much because everyone knows about it. Yeah, and it's... I don't want spoilers. I want to enjoy it. Yeah, it was good. It was fun. Um, but Go on. You've I seen... have seen Mindhorn. Yes. And we had the wonderful Julian Barrett here and Simon Farnaby. Um, and they were, they just blew everyone away. I think we're, um, I think a lot of people had to have their sides uh, stitched back together. Um, 
I, when I first watched it um, a month or two ago, I think my face actually ached the amount <laughs> of, I was laughing about it. So it's about, uh, Jeannie Barrett plays this um, character, Richard Thorncroft, who was an actor in the 80s on um, a sort of detective show called Mindhorn, um, and it was set on the Isle of Man. It's a very stupid premise, and it's sort of taken the mick out of how, how those shows look then and how they look now and also mm. the washed up that actor is then brought back into the character to uh, to do something in real life it was like this, there's a serial killer on the loose and he has to uh, call, call, all he has to do is call him and get him to tell him where he is uh, obviously this pompous character doesn't make it that easy um, it's just uh, uh, what, what I've got to say is every, every single line of this um, film seems to have been uh, rewritten and rewritten and rewritten, I think, in, but in a way, like, redrafted, I mean, um, to the point that there's no one throwaway word in this film. Mm. Like, they, they've just found a bit of humour in everything the character could say or do. Um, and it, I, I honestly loved it. It makes me want to go and visit the Isle of Man. I'm going on Friday. Amazing. My friend's going to live there for a year. My friend already lives there Whoa. for his life. Oh my god! <laughs> he, yeah, it's his thirtieth, so I'm gonna go and have some a Cake. nice time with him. What? Um, you don't like parties, I do. Michael didn't in, uh, invite me to one of his parties because he said I didn't like parties, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and oh, I'll forever dear. regret it. Um, but in, in honour of Mindhorn, uh, Mike was growing a Mindhorn moustache as well. I have, you can't, I can't really see that through the, uh, through the audio. <laughs> um, and uh, I also watched Citizen Jane, which uh, if you uh, you should really get a chance and go and go and see it, uh, Alex. Um, it's about this uh, journalist who um, sort of became an activist. She's called Jane Jacobs and she's in New York and she noticed that her city was getting taken over by wealthy property developers who were just creating bad uh, living spaces that weren't that didn't actually think about how we interact with our space. Um, just thought of uh, what would be convenient and um, and essentially, um, although they were, these property developers had ideas that they were going to uh, stop making uh, or create new areas that would get rid of the slums. In fact, all they did was just create new slums. And so uh, this activist Jane Jacobs was just incredible in the way that she wrote and thought and acted um, in order to stop these um, wealthy property developers coming in and ruining her city. Um, I think we we're t we can totally reflect all of what happens in that film and what ha is happening in Liverpool at the moment. Mm. Uh, a lot of music venues are, um, are, are getting uh, threatened uh, with getting shut down um, because of uh, their place has been sold on and they're, or they're making student flats near them so they can't play loud noises um, or loud music till, till late. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, there's so many things going on. There's this thing with the donut effect, isn't there? Where the, the centre of a city kind of dies because people kind of move out of the city. Mm. So then the surrounding area around the city centre is where every, everyone lives and the kind of interesting and cultural stuff happens. Mm. But the city centre is... Always like, expanding. Is, is, well, it's kind of dead. Right. So so it's like a ring around this dead centre. Uh, uh, that's not happening in Liverpool because there's so much wonderful stuff that happens in city centre and the city centre of Liverpool is amazing. Yeah. But um, it's it's an effect of that kind of... 
Yeah, but Move, moving out. It's, it, but it's not unlikely not to happen. I don't think in in this I city. Not. I think yeah, I hope not. But uh, a lot of my favourite venues have have uh, been cast out into the, you know, the the side, the, the sidelines of the city. Mm. So yeah, maybe it is happening. Uh, but yeah, if you are an urban geography student or a sociologist, I I think uh, this would be very up your street. Right. So the film is coming out. Film is coming out next week. We have obviously Alien Covenant. And the leveling, which we've talked quite a lot about in detail. We also have um, Woody Harrelson's film Lost in London. We were lucky enough to have him come up here and to talk about this film. And it's uh, it's quite an interesting film because it was filmed in one take, live streaming when he just kind of went around London's. He did. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't just going around London. It was like a carefully planned and um, storyboarded. Yeah, thing. but he went around London's, didn't he? He did go around London's, but I, I think there was a little more planning into it than just <laughs> walking around. But, but, the but, but there was an element of not knowing what could happen. Like there was things that could and did go awry. Um, yeah, I think as in some cases he would have liked to have tidied some of it up. But um, yeah, I think. the like for the most part, it was just incredible. Like uh, a, a real feat. Um, that I wonder if anyone's going to try it again. I know Woody says he's never going to do it again. <laughs> Didn't he say- yeah. Well, no. The, the the story is based on his worst night he ever had. Uh... Yeah, so he's recreating a, an actual story from his life. Well, that's why he didn't enjoy it, because it was recreating the worst night of his yeah. life. So maybe um, he should recreate the best night of his life and he might enjoy it more. Good little cameos from Owen Wilson and um, Willie Nelson as well. Because he hates them. And, and they may contribute to his worst night. Yeah, so he decided <laughs> to pay them <laughs> to feature in his film. Um, uh, all right. We well, have France. France, we do. It's an um, uh, interesting little film um german film about a french soldier soldier i might be wrong it's um it's about uh basically a woman who's married to a guy called france and a soldier she he dies in the war and a soldier comes back uh, to lay flowers on his grave and um it seems like the soldier was as much in love with france as she was um and so maybe something went on there um and finally oh burden oh this looks really good so Burden, uh, I, it's Chris Burden, and he, who's this um, sort of like anarchic artist who wanted to find a way of making his art totally uncommodifiable, so you couldn't buy it, um, and he'd do these uh, gigantic um, performances and um, pieces that just would not, he wouldn't, they wouldn't be sellable. He was like the antithesis of Andy Warhol, huh. um, and. Uh, just who's a, a mad character is uh, maybe that's the wrong word. That's, this is another like, doc. Just a, a very raucous character. Yeah, it's a doc. Um, doc with? Yeah, maybe not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it was uh, no. I I really like the look of it, and uh, I think any art fans, hello fact, uh, should get involved. Yeah, I want to go see that. That sounds great. And finally, we have Snatched, which is an Amy Schumer comedy caper film. So if you're an Amy Schumer fan, that's the film for you. Thank you very much for uh, listening to the Big Blanket podcast this week. Uh, it's been super fun. Thanks to Hope. Um, and look forward to seeing y'all soon. Yeah, thank you very much to Anna who helped us sort the interview with Hope. That was very kind of her. Thank you. 
Bye. You've been listening to Films and Chats. Films and Chats. Well, I like it. This week's Films with Alex and Michael. The Big Blanket Podcast.